The gospel lesson for today comes from the gospel according to John, the first four verses of the 14th chapter, John 14 and verse 1. Hear the word of God. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. This is the word of the Lord. I am the youngest child of, in my family, And I've been told that when I was a young boy, I whined quite a bit about my birthday always being the last one that the family celebrated. My sister's birthday is in August. My father's birthday was September. My mother's birthday was October. My brother's is November. My birthday is in January. (laughs) It is obvious by all standards of the calendar year and for the mature of spirit that my January birthday was actually first, not last. It's not like one can declare a birthday year end of July 31 like a fiscal year. But as a child, It must have felt like I always had to wait for the end to celebrate my birthday. In my father's house, Jesus said, there are many dwelling places. Christ promised to us of a dwelling place in God's house. Like the child who always thought we would have to wait for the end to celebrate a January birthday, I confess to you, that I have always filed this promise of Jesus in the end time folder. Not the end as in the second coming or the rapture or anything else like that, but end in terms of one's earthly life in God. When it comes to a dwelling place in God's house in the Gospel of John, I always thought I would have to wait until the end. To be fair, the words of Jesus sort of lean in that direction. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus' teaching, his promise, certainly has the feel of something more eternal-like. Though you will remember in the prologue to John's gospel, the word became flesh and lived among us, dwelt among us, our humanity, his dwelling place. But as to our dwelling place, I have always just thought it was heaven, a vision of the beauty and the grandeur of the kingdom of heaven is the only thing I can really come up with that explains the word choice of the King James. In my father's house are many mansions. The Greek word is pretty clear. 
It's abode, room, dwelling places, not mansion. Various modern English translations go with many dwelling places, many rooms. The common English version translates verse 2 this way, My father's house has room to spare. In his paraphrase, the message, Eugene Peterson makes it all sound more casual, personal, even homey. Don't let this throw you. You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There is plenty of room for you in my father's home. Plenty of room, but not a mansion. Plenty of room, and maybe you don't have to wait until the end. Later in this familiar 14th chapter of John, the teaching of Jesus, the promise of Jesus, expands to the relationship between God, Jesus, and those who love Jesus. Jesus said, I will not leave you orphaned, I am coming to you. And in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. The disciple asked how it is that Jesus reveals himself to those who love him and not to the world. And here's Jesus' answer. You love me, God loves you, and we, God and Jesus, will come to you and make our home with you. You love me, God loves you, and we, God and Jesus, will come to you and make our home with you. Home. Not the same Greek word as in my father's house. Not house, it's the word for home, not mansion. Home, abode, room, dwelling place. You love me, God loves you, and we will come to make our dwelling place with you. That doesn't sound like the end to me. That sounds like the now to me. God's house has plenty of room to spare. There's plenty of room for you in God. On June 21st, 1998, my predecessor, Wallace Alston, came out of retirement, as they say, to preach at the 25th anniversary service of Nassau Church. In the last 50 years, Nassau Presbyterian Church has had two pastors. Not many congregations would share that statistic. History and you, I guess, will be the decider of whether that's been a good thing or not. <laughs> Dr. Alston preached that morning on the text, How lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Psalm 84, verse 1. The title of his sermon was, The Church That People Love. God's dwelling place here at Nassau Presbyterian Church, generation after generation. So... Is it God's dwelling place at the end that you and I have to wait for? God's dwelling place in us now, in our heart and soul? 
God's dwelling place in the people of God at worship in this place, the body of Christ that is Nassau Church? And of course, the answer is yes. Yes, God's house has room to spare. A professor of preaching once wrote that part of a pastor's preparation for weekly preaching in a particular congregation should be a weekday visit to the empty sanctuary. The suggestion was to sit in different places every week in the room and think about, pray about, reflect on the church member or visitor who will be sitting there come Sunday. Apparently you are not the only ones who sit in mostly the same place Sunday after Sunday. I've come into this empty room during the week, and it is a powerful exercise for a preacher, a pastor, but it's not enough, really, is it, to just sit in the pew. You have to come and stand at the font on a weekday and try to imagine 50 years of parents bringing children to the font or of both younger and older kneeling here at the font to be baptized. You have to walk the chancel from one side to the other around the curve, taking in how many members, confirmands, all making their affirmation of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You have to stop in on a weekday and sit down on the floor in front of the chancel and be humbled by the generations of children sitting here to listen to a story about God and God's people. Or you stand right at the bottom of the steps and take in the countless vows being exchanged between two people. You sit anywhere in here on a weekday and you can still hear the whole camp organ even when there's no one on the bench practicing. All those pipes boosting the church's first choir, the congregation at song. Who could count how many times the bread has been broken and the cup has been lifted Stand on the step or sit up in the choir loft and let your hearts be filled by the great multitude that have lift their voices in praise. And yes, sit in the front pew and the accumulated grief that is there in the front pew from memorial services and funerals is too much to bear. And look around the room and take a breath, a deep breath, imagining all the prayers offered here in this place as if they were still hanging in the air. But it's still not enough. Because you have to go down, go downstairs and sit all the way down in a children's chair in a classroom. You have to spend some time in the chapel, the best acoustics in the building, they always echo the faith. You go up to the youth room, or you stop in the choir room, or you go to the assembly room and smell 50 years worth of food. But that's not enough either. It's not enough because you have to, you have to look out there too. It's overwhelming to try to wrap one's head around the concentric circles away from this space when it comes to life, faith, service, mission, Outreach, advocacy, witness, love, forgiveness, the stunningly beautiful web 
formed by the followers of Jesus Christ being sent out from this space, this dwelling place that is Nassau Presbyterian Church. No, it hasn't been perfect for 50 years. God knows. You know. I know. We could all tell stories. We should all read the history. Some of it's not even all that faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be honest. But God is faithful. And God's grace is new every morning, new every morning. And in every generation, God has called God's children to this dwelling place here. That God might make a dwelling place in you now. And that together we might wait for that dwelling place to come at the end of our earthly life. Which of course in Jesus Christ is the beginning. For Christ is risen. There is plenty of room in God's house. Fifty years add on first church, second church slash St. Andrews, hundreds of years. A list or a litany could never really sum up the change. The picture sort of did. Small changes, big changes, worship change, theology change, congregation change, Princeton change, I saw the English shop in Langrock in the picture. Men's stores, long gone. World change. Change, change, change. Sam Cooke was right. Change is going to come. Taylor Swift is right. These things will change. (laughs) Too many will ponder 50 years of change with a nostalgic lament. No. Jesus Christ is still head of the church. And the preacher in the book of Hebrews proclaims Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Therefore, claim in your heart and soul that which is the same, which hasn't changed. And it has everything to do with God's dwelling place. What hasn't changed is how the grace, by the grace of God and the love of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit, Sunday after Sunday, the beauty of the promise of God's dwelling place all comes together. God calls God's children here to God's dwelling place that God might make a dwelling place in them and together they might be assured of God's dwelling place to come, a holy mashup of God's dwelling place. No, that hasn't changed. In early May, I was with a few dozen of my colleagues at a dinner party in Indianapolis. The evening was hosted by members of Second Presbyterian Church in their home, a a couple in their home, and their pastor was hosting our gathering for the week. We introduced ourselves to our hosts for the evening, and then our hosts introduced themselves, and they introduced some good friends of theirs they had invited to join us. They introduced us to Bill and Gloria Gaither. Show of hands of who No, Bill and Gloria Gaither, not personally. The Gaithers have been prolific singers and songwriters in a different theological tradition than most of us in the Presbyterian world, and a presence in Christian music and television for at least 50 years, maybe more. We were introduced to Bill and Gloria Gaither, and... The 24 Presbyterian pastors standing in a circle all kind of looked at each other and said, the Gaithers. 
We had dinner, split up for dinner, and I was at the table with Gloria Gaither. And I'm not going to lie, some of the conversation was awkward theologically and things like that. And maybe more by my own cynicism. I asked her which of their songs was hands down the bestseller. Without any hesitation, she answered. Any ideas? Because he lives. Who said that? Oh, no, you're cheating. <laughs> he's cheating not because he's a musician. He's cheating because I've already told him this story. <laughs> because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. That was the song that she said, hands down, was their best seller. But then she said to the table, but I have to tell you the context. She said, I'm the text writer. Bill wrote the tunes. And in the early 1970s, she was pregnant with her third child. She and her husband were having a late night conversation one night, filled with anxiety. And she said to us, things in the world and the country were all stirred up. And she said to her husband late that night, how can we bring another child into this world so broken? The next morning, she told us she woke up very early and God gave her the text of, because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. I never watched the Gaither Gospel Hour. I've never listened to the Gaithers. But I've sung the song. I like the song. And the whole story she told of how and why she wrote the text, I find that profound and moving. And my early reaction and maybe 23 other Presbyterian pastors at dinner, a little sinful. The song's a profound and moving statement of faith. And maybe, just maybe, some version of the meaning of that verse of song is what happens Sunday after Sunday in the mashup of the promise of God's dwelling place. God calling God's people to this place so that in and through Jesus Christ we can face tomorrow. Knowing that Christ Jesus holds the future and our lives, our lives are worth living because he lives, or as you have heard me say, Nassau Church, in Jesus Christ our best days are always yet to come, because Christ is risen. Is risen Christ is risen. Is risen Christ is risen. Is risen Thanks be to God.